teaching false doctrine and false teachers. And we're going to look at that struggle he had a little bit later. But for now, just know that Timothy was a young man who loved the Lord. Paul's encouraging him. Actually, he's urging him to endure, to stay strong, to keep the faith, to be true to God's word. You know, as I was reading, uh, studying 2 Timothy this summer and meditating on it and reading this passage almost every day over and over again, I started to notice some themes stick out. Um, actually, some charges that Paul is really just urging Timothy to take note of. And I'd like to explore, the, I think on your note sheet I have the eight charges of Paul. And um, I just want to read through them quickly to kind of put this book in perspective. The first one's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And there's probably more than eight. These are just eight that stood out to me. Where he tells Timothy to stir up. That's the first one. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, stir up. You're a gifted man. This year as we enter ministry here at Coast and, and just serving the Lord, let us stir up the gifts that are in us. The second one, he tells Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8, Don't be ashamed, Timothy. A lot of people are. They're, just messing, up with the, they're messing the gospel up. But you, Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Don't be ashamed of it. Third, chapter 1, verse 13, Timothy, hold fast. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. People are perverting the gospel, but you hold fast. Stick to what you know is true, the sound words. Number four, chapter two, verse one. Be strong. You therefore, my son, Timothy... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, we can't do things on our own strength. Timothy, if you do things on your own strength, you're going to fail. But as he told the Philippian church, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He's telling Timothy here, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, Timothy had a lot on his plate, as we're going to find out. I think number five or six, chapter two, verse three, Timothy, endure hardship. It's not going to be easy. Life's tough. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Carry on. Persevere. Endure it. Don't give up. Number six, our passage today in verse 15 of chapter 2. Be diligent, Timothy. Be diligent. Be eager. Be earnest. Keep at it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And probably my favorite verse in this book, chapter 4, verse 2, number 7. Timothy, your job is to preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And finally, Timothy, number 8, chapter 4, verse 5. That you be watchful. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Stay on the alert, Timothy. Be vigilant. Be sober. Be watchful. As Peter wrote in his epistle, you know, the devil's 
prowling about like a roaring lion seeking to devour. If you're not watchful, he's going to sneak in and, and bite you. These are pretty powerful charges. I wanted to give you a glimpse of the passion with which Paul is writing this book. These, these ideas to endure, to hold fast, to be strong, to preach the word. What a calling. And in case I get lost rambling this morning, which I'm good at doing, or in case you fall asleep and I have to throw a water balloon at you, um, if you forget anything else I say this morning, remember this. Just like Paul's charge to Timothy, as we begin this new year of ministry here at Coast, and especially if you're a leader or a Sunday school teacher or a want to listener or whatever your, your work for the Lord is, let us stir up the gifts that are in us. Let us not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Let us hold fast to the powder, pattern of sound teaching and doctrine. Let us be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus and not in our own strength. Let us endure hardship this year. And let us be diligent to present ourselves as approved workmen to God. Let us be approved workmen who are not ashamed. See, it's in this earnest set of pleas that Paul is encouraging Timothy in today's text. So let's look at our text again today. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul's urging Timothy here to be true to the word of God. Timothy's a worker, a minister of God's word who does not need to seek the approval of men and get caught up in petty arguments and idle babbling, but instead he needs to seek the ultimate approval. The approval of God. Earlier I mentioned that one of Paul's, uh, Timothy's main, main burdens in his life was dealing with false teachers in his church. In fact, today's text is set in the midst of Paul's warnings to him to avoid this. So I'd like to read with you this morning, and I want you to notice that our verse 15 here is packaged between Paul's warnings for him to avoid um, just words that have no use to them. Look with me, verse 14. Timothy reminded them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And we have our verse, down to verse 16. But you, Timothy, shun. Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. And he does some name-calling. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they have overthrown this faith of some. Skipping down to verse 23. But you, Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Know that, that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Here our verse today is packaged between these, these warnings to shun profane and idle babblings, to not get involved in quarrels and disputes, and not to strive about words to no profit. And this is nothing new to Timothy. If you look back to the first letter that Paul wrote, real quick... I think I have some scattered verses from that book. Um, it was an issue when Paul, when um, Timothy forgot, first got to Ephesus. First Timothy, chapter one, verse three. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Why? That you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There was an issue with false teachers. Verse four. Nor give heed to fables or in, in endless genealogies which which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith. Verse 6, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. Skipping over to chapter 3, verse 7, or chapter 4, verse 7. 
But you, Timothy, again, reject profane and old wife's fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Then he exhorts him in verse 13. Till I come, Timothy, you give attention. Your job's to study, reading, to exhortations, to doctrine. Verse 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I read all this just to illustrate the point that our verse today, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, is really over a dispute of false teaching going on in his church. There's arguing going on. People trying to puff up themselves and, and, and be glorified with, with their words. Itching, tickling itching ears and, and preaching that there's, you know, Jesus really didn't raise from the dead. That it was just a spiritual resurrection and not a physical one. And they practice their own form of Gnosticism. And Paul's telling them, no, Timothy, you study. You stick true to the word of God. Your job, Timothy, is to preach the word. Don't get caught up in their schemes, in their arguments. So as we break down this verse this morning, I'd actually like to break it down into its three phrases and go through each of them briefly. Uh, First, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Second, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And third, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's look at this first phrase. What does it mean to be diligent? To present yourself approved to God. I don't know how many of you have an old King James version. I grew up with that. How many? Anybody by chance have an old King James? How many of you memorized this verse as a youngster? And it started out differently. What's it start out with? Study to show thyself approved. And that's what I was expecting as I got into this passage. I'm like, wait. You know, and the NIV says, do your best to be approved to God. And, and the King, New King James version says, well, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. I'm like, well, that's kind of a wide spectrum for a verse. And so I want to dig into it this morning. You know, in the New King James, the version that our church uses um, predominantly, begins this charge by telling Timothy to be diligent. And this word, be diligent, actually comes from the Greek word um, spadazo. And it appears 12 times in the New Testament. And each time, um, with the idea to be earnest or... To, to hurry to, like, Timothy, my son, be diligent to come to me quickly. Um, hurry to it. The word literal, literally means to make haste, to exert oneself, to endeavor, to give diligence to, to do one's best. You know, the old King James says to study, which I kind of like, especially in the light of the passages I've just read this morning, when he tells Timothy, you know, Timothy, you're, you're to give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, you're to study to show yourself approved, to take heed um, to the doctrine, not get caught up with these fables. In his commentary, John W. Rittenbach writes this. The King James translates this word, um, spadazo, as study. However, modern translations typically do not agree because the meaning and usage of the English word has changed. To us, study means hit the books, learn, analyze, investigate, examine, scrutinize, or earnestly, earnestly contemplate. But the Greek word, spadazo, actually means something quite different. It literally means to make speed, to hurry. It conveys the sense of to make an earnest effort, to be prompt to labor. In almost all modern translations, the word study is, tra- is rendered, be diligent, work hard, do your best. The primary question then is, what can we do to show ourselves approved to God? Because God's charges, hurry to do it. Be quick about it. 
Be diligent at it. Do your best. So although I grew up learning this verse, I studied to show thyself approved, which I still like a lot. There's a lot of truth in that. I also like this phrase, be diligent. Um, let me explain why. Earlier this summer, I, I was at some friends, actually Tori's friends, they had a play date. And they live in Ladera Ranch, and, and they have a garden. Over in Ladera, there's this garden where you can plant seeds, and if you ever drive by, there's pumpkin and everything. And I was just sharing how cool it would be in our backyard. We've always wanted to plant you know, things, and I can never keep anything alive. Uh, but anyway, they gave us a bunch of seeds. And so the Sunday before Monica got back from Haiti, it was July 5th, the day after 4th of July, the 5th, um, we went to Home Depot or Lowe's and got, you know, soil, good soil, and we, we did all the stuff good farmers are supposed to do. And um, So we planted seed, we planted corn, we planted um, uh, pumpkin, we planted cantaloupe, we planted watermelon, we planted tomatoes. And, um, and you have to understand, we don't have a sprinkler system in our backyard. So any way this was going to grow is going to be on our part to be diligent, key phrase there, to water. Um, and so we watered, and about a week later, um, we started seeing little sprouts, and then we got really excited because, wow, something's growing. We're keeping something alive here. And we were diligent in the morning to fill it with water, and John will get a kick out of this. We're feeding at 9.5. He knows what that means. Um, and so <laughs> in about five weeks later, I think I got a picture of it now, um, it might be kind of hard to see. This corn is taller than our wall that we share with our neighbor. And we actually have corn on the cob now. And it's, I don't know when to pick it, but we have cobs. Um, and there's a picture of our little pumpkin patch. And we have a tiny backyard, but these leaves are literally this big. And, and they're just huge. They're just overtaking our whole thing. And the watermelon there is, is just starting to spread like, like crazy. And it's, it's, it's exciting to see something grow, especially when you have to be diligent at doing something. You know, normally our backyard is just brown because I'm not diligent in water and you don't really care about it because you don't care about it. But when you care about something, you've got to be diligent at working at it. And um, I think that's the same thing that Paul's sharing here. There's something to be said about being diligent. Keep at it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. It doesn't happen on its own. You've got to keep at it. So what does it mean to be approved to God anyway? Let's explore this idea for a minute. If you have a Nelson Study Bible, uh, you'll notice in the footnotes down there for verse 15, it says this, What is approved is what remains after testing, like metals that have been refined by fire. I like that. What is approved is what remains after testing, like metals that have been refined by fire. You know, there's, it's true that there's something innate in all of us that seeks approval. It's approval from your spouse, from a, 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 your boss at work, from a friend. I did a little research this summer in preparation for this. I went to Google, great website, uh, or search engine, and typed in seeking approval. I was just blown away by the hundreds of thousands of entries for that, from Oprah to Psychology Today. You know, they, all, they all say that you know, we all seek approval, whether it's from a spouse, a boss, a parent. You know, at Stony Brook... Every year, every employee has, you know, evaluation. You know, we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't want to be approved. You know, to hear that you're doing a good job. Um, bottom line is that we're concerned with being approved. In this passage, Paul's urging Timothy to seek the ultimate kind of approval. Don't be concerned with what man says. Be approved to God. To present himself approved unto God. He's not to concern himself with man's approval. You know, all summer, 
in his series on Ecclesiastes, Pastor Neil um, encouraged us to live life without blinders. Remember, take the blinders off. Look up. And then all the work that we do, this is appropriate that it's Labor Day, that all the work that we do is in vain unless it's work done for the Lord. You know, when all is said and done and all is stripped away and we're standing before Christ at the judgment seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, you know, are we going to stand approved before God? Or what we, the work that we did here have been done in vain? You see, when we live life without blinders, we're able to see that there's an ultimate reward for those who are approved by God. Paul understood this in his book. And that's why he urges Timothy to present himself as approved to God. Look at what Timothy writes. Flip over real quick to uh, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 7 and 8. He tells Timothy, Timothy, I've fought the good fight. i finished the race. I've kept the faith. And here's what's going to happen. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, a reward, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to also to all who love is appearing. That day, you'll notice it's capitalized, refers to the judgment seat of Christ. Well, we're all going to give an account of this life, an account for how we built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, this day is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I just want to take a second to drill this in. So if you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's read about this day real quick. Starting at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Workers, how appropriate. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet as, so as through fire. Verse 13, the day will declare each one's work. And the only thing that's going to pass through that fire one day that we're all going to stand before are the things that we did that had eternal significance to it. Think about that for a second. The only things that are going to pass through that fire are the things that are approved unto God. This morning, if you struggle with seeking approval of your life, if your focus is on seeking man's approval, your boss's approval, your spouse's approval, let me challenge you. Like Neil challenged us, take the blinders off. Look up. And only concern yourself with presenting yourself approved unto God. Because when it's all said and done, that's really what's going to matter. It's how we stand before Christ. And you know what? When you do that, when you concern yourself with presenting yourself approved to God, Funny thing happens. Usually everything else seems to fall in place when Christ is first. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. 
You know, it's no accident that Paul calls Timothy a worker. This is one of many descriptions of the Christian life that Paul gives in this book. Earlier in the chapter, Paul urges Timothy to be like a soldier. In verse 3, who's not entangled with the things of this life. He tells him in verse 5 to be like an athlete who competes according to the rules. In verse 6, he calls him a hard-working farmer who receives the first share of the crops. And now he's calling him a worker. Timothy, you're a work. You're a worker. And your work is to be a minister of God's word. To clearly proclaim the truth of God's word. Which he emphasizes in chapter 4, verse 2. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. That's your job. And I suppose in a larger sense, all of us who are believers in Jesus are now workers for Christ. We have a great work to do. Timothy's work was to proclaim the gospel as a minister. That's what he was. Pastor Neil is a minister. That's his job. Our former Pastor Arch is a missionary now. That's his job. The question is, what is your work? What job for Christ do you have? I guess a better question might be, what's your spiritual gifts? Are you a student of the Word? Are you using your gifts to honor Him? Like Paul told the Colossians church, whatever you do, whatever your work is, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus. Whatever our work is, work at it with all our heart. You know, it's important to note that although I believe that all believers in Jesus Christ are workers for him, and that hopefully we're to be approved workmen, it doesn't mean that all workers are good workers. If you've been in your job long enough, you tend to know that you know there's different levels of people's work, different levels of people's diligence to their work. And I reckon to say that one day when we're standing before Christ, there's going to be different levels of how people use their lives to honor Christ. In fact, there might be workers who are going to be ashamed someday of the way they live this life. The idea of being ashamed is a sober picture of those who will stand before Christ on that day. And as they pass through that fire, they're going to have nothing to show for it when it comes to the things they did that impacted eternity. Later in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, Paul describes a great house where there's vessels of honor, or vessels of gold and silver and some of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. And he goes on to say that if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's our challenge. But unfortunately, some people are going to have wives that are full of dishonor or the wood and clay. And they'll be shamed on that day. Paul mentions four people by name in this book who Paul thinks probably should be ashamed of themselves. Talk about name-calling. Um, he mentions in verse 17, Hymenius and Philetus. Actually, in both First and Second Timothy, he calls them out. These were people that were trying to pervert the gospel. And their message was spreading like cancer. Later in chapter 4, he calls out people like Demas and Alexander the coppersmith, one who had deserted Paul and another who did him much harm. These were people whose lives weren't honoring to God. And one of the things Paul's encouraging Timothy here to avoid being shamed was to have nothing to do with these kind of useless babblings and, and disputes that were going on that we talked about earlier. Instead, Timothy's job was to do his work, and his job was to rightly divide the word of truth. Which brings us to our last phrase this morning. Timothy, 
rightly divide the word of truth. The phrase rightly divide comes from the Greek word orthotomeo, which literally means to cut straight or to make straight. This is the only time this word appears in the New Testament, believe it or not. Um, the Hebrew equivalent appears once in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 3.6, which most of you are familiar with. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall, what? Direct your paths or make your path straight. Orthotomeo. Um, I like what the Nelson Study Bible says about this phrase. This word, which occurs only here in the New Testament, means to cut straight. That's to cut a straight road or keep a straight course. Paul encouraged Timothy to handle the word of truth in a straight way, like a road that goes straight to its goal without being turned aside by useless debates. You know, in geometry, a line segment is just defined as the shortest distance between what? Point A and point B. I think Timothy's charge here by Paul was, Timothy, keep the gospel simple. Keep it straight. Don't make it confusing like these other people are trying to do. Or make it confusing like I'm probably doing this morning. But you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'd like to close this morning with a story that happened in my house this summer. You know, it's funny, we've been in our home for 13 years, a little town home, and believe it or not, I have never once had to change our bathroom lights. I don't know in your house, but above the mirror we have those like eight light bulbs that are clear and shiny, I don't know what you call that thing, um, but they've never burned out. I've never thought about it. One finally burned out this summer, and actually we have these in all three of our bathrooms um, above the mirror. Um, so I went down to Lowe's and decided, you know, I might as well just replace them all. I couldn't believe it. it's been 13 years. So I went and got the light bulbs, exact same wattage, everything, and I took them out, put the new ones in, and I cannot tell you how drastically brighter the bathroom was. I mean, it was, it was almost blinding, like when you're in a dark room and you turn the lights on and you, and you squint. It was almost that drastic. I had not realized over 13 years how those lights just gradually grew dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and you don't even realize it. You get used to it. And I began thinking, that's a lot like our spiritual lives when we're not diligent. Not only being diligent about presenting ourselves approved to God, but just be diligent in studying and being in His Word. That our spiritual lives can become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And before you know it, days pass by, months pass by, and we're not in His Word. We're not praying, and you begin to feel distant from God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Work at it. Study His Word. Be a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. In other words, live your life without blinders. Look up. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what work you're supposed to be doing, and do it. Timothy was a minister of the Word of God. He was to preach the Word. What's your job? Are you being diligent about it? Or is your spiritual life dimmed? As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, you know, as we kick off this new school year and this new year of ministry, as we celebrate Labor Day where we're supposed to be you know, celebrating our work here on earth, 
stir up the gifts that are in us. Let's be diligent to present ourselves approved workmen to God, rightly dividing the word of truth, and let us be approved workmen who are not ashamed. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your ministers like Paul and Timothy and the charge that you gave to them and their faithfulness. Lord, today in 2009, as we kick off a new year of ministry, I just pray that you're the center of everything that we do. That in our own lives, we'll be diligent to present ourselves approved to you. That we'll be workers. We'll be workers that seek to honor you in all that we say and do. Knowing that one day we'll stand before you someday and give an account for how we served you in this life. Lord, help us this morning to rightly divide your word, to study it, to be approved. Father, we just thank you for this time. And as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray to prepare our hearts for that and just focusing on the one who you're ultimately approved with your son, Jesus Christ, for whom we give all thanks and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.